Good morning. You're listening to The Daily Cast, a podcast to start the day on Kilcullen Diary. I'm Brian Byrne. It's Tuesday, the 4th of May, 2021. Shortly, I'll be remembering one of the early Irish-born war correspondents, and I'll be pulling up some memories of Kilcullen traffic in the 1930s. But first, the weather. It's a bright start to a cool and blustery day. There'll be scattered showers developing in the afternoon. Some will be heavy. There is a risk of hail and thunderstorms. The highest temperatures will be 11 degrees in fresh and gusty northwest winds. Our person of interest today is Charles Williams, best known as a journalist and war correspondent in an era when that was an extremely dangerous profession. In the annals, he is remembered in the same mould as William Howard Russell, attributed the inventor of the work of war correspondent, and Irish artist Frank Power, who was killed in the Sudan, and many others in the various 19th century wars in the Crimea, Africa and Central America. Charles Williams was born on the 4th of May, 1838, in Coleraine, County Derry. His family had English farmer and Scottish planter backgrounds. They obviously had done well in Ireland, as Charles was educated at the Belfast Academy and later in a private school in London. He served in the London Irish Rifles, where he reached the rank of sergeant. In the mid-1800s, he engaged in unauthorised military activities, known as filibustering, in Nicaragua. And there he participated in hard fighting and won himself a reputation for bravery. Back in London in 1859, he started writing for the London Evening Herald and soon moved to the Standard, where he was to work for the next 25 years. He operated from the front lines in the Franco-Prussian War in 1870, the Russo-Turkish War in the late 1870s and then in Afghanistan. And in 1884, he joined the expedition to relieve Gordon's troops in Khartoum in the Sudan. He was the first correspondent to send news of Gordon's death. The following year, now working for the Daily Chronicle, he was the only British journalist with the Bulgarian army in the Serbo-Bulgarian War. He was attached to the Greek forces in the Greco-Turkish War of 1897, and his last war reporting was with Kitchener's campaign in the Sudan in 1898. Williams wrote a number of books on his adventures and also toured the US, England, Scotland and Ireland, giving illustrated lectures on the campaigns from which he had reported. He was described as having a voice of thunder and expressed with terrific energy. He was the founder of the London Press Club, and his two sons, with his wife Georgina Ward, also became journalists, working in Canada and Sydney, respectively. Charles Williams plied his craft at a time when war correspondents faced death in a hundred grisly shapes, as was described in a contemporary account. It was a time, too, when the stories had to be sent as letters, and later, with the advent of the telegraph, a correspondent had to be a fast rider to get to the nearest telegraph station to file his copy ahead of his competitors. It's a far cry from today's instant news from anywhere on the globe by a mobile phone. Charles Williams died in London in 1904, having survived the grisly deaths that had taken so many of his kind. For our feature today, I'm delving back into a family interview I did during my RTE radio days, although it wasn't for broadcast at the time. In 1994, just prior to the opening of the Kilcullen Bypass, 
I went and had a chat with my Uncle Tommy Byrne, my father's younger brother. At the time we were expecting Kilcullen traffic to go down to a local trickle, and I asked Tommy what the traffic on the roads in the village was like when he was a child. It turned out they were very quiet. The best way I could describe it here was with seasons for different games. With certain seasons we got hoops. Well, the hoop actually was the rim of a bicycle wheel. And two or three of us get those, and we'd race up and down the street, beating them with a stick, you know, racing one another. And they'd be hopping off the ground and hitting the footpath and going up in the beer. And that was one game we played in the streets. And then the spinning of the tops, which you heard recently. I remember, like, an autumn evening, or there could be eight or ten of us whipping tops down the street. Now, the tar had arrived this time, because you couldn't spin a top if it wasn't smoothish. And uh, going down the hill, you could call an eight or ten of us, and who'd hit the best lash and keep it spinning, you know. Oh, great competition, but I'd one up in them. I used to get me top, and that time we used to have powder paint we sold to mix their own paints. And I go and get a little Prussian blue and put it around outside of a little bit of red. And my top would be spinning a beautiful rainbow colour off the top of it. I remember that. Why I said that is to give you an idea of the traffic that was yeah. on the road. And what kind of traffic would there be? What I should motor the motor car came along you'd be raging. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was this in the yeah. nutshell. Yeah. Like a motor car. And then we used to play football at the convent gate. That was the goal post. Particularly for Sunday morning, there could be ten or fifteen there. And now the ball was usually something like a tennis ball or something like that. Yeah. And we'd be shooting goals. Oh, there could be ten or twenty. And or the summer's evening, you know. Yeah. That'll give it. And then if a car came, you'd be where the hell is this guy going? Yeah. <laughs> or if it was going anywhere quick, you'd you go up onto the footpath of Quinn's and look to see how fast it went up the hill. I could call them where the dial shop is at the moment. We could see from there. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a good car. Look how fast it's going up there. You know? Other than those very few cars, what kind of transport did most people use? Well, podium traps, uh, like, well, uh, Saturday was the big traffic day for shopping. And the majority of the customers come in in a donkey and cart. And uh, the, the husband driving and the woman beside him and she wore usually black shawl and a black bonnet and tied down here. The last time I remember was Mrs Gould at the Bella Sachs and I remember her well and the bonnet tied underneath here and I remember because they used to bring in eggs into the town. Well it was sort of a market of a, of a Saturday and a, an eggler as we used to call it, Mac Conway used to buy the eggs. He came mostly Cullen and he used to set them out down in the square and count them onto a, some sort of a mat or a car and box them. Then I think he used to sell them on the curra or sell them to some dealer that went around. But he came every Saturday to buy the eggs. But it was mostly that. Now, the rings up at the school wall, and they'd be filled for the three masses of a Sunday. Right. With a pony and strap or a donkey's car tied to them. Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, now, would people have to be wealthy to have a pony and cart? Or was it essential like well, a car is today? A donkey and cart, everybody had one in the country. If they had a half acre at all, an acre, a donkey and cart, that was the mode of transport. Now, even as a kid, like bikes weren't too popular. You know, yes, they were coming, all right, but you had to be well off to on a bicycle, you know. Mm. And... Uh, the donkey cart has the little flat one, the blue, 
done up nice blue sides on it and red wheels, always, if they were prosperous at all, they were painted. And the horse and carts were built the same way. No. Mm. Where would they have been made? Were they made locally or were they made by Ah, oh, made locally. Mm. Uh, there was Cuddy's of Balasacks used to make. Suncraft, Cuddy's of Suncraft. You might remember it as a kind of a second-hand furniture place. I do That's remember it. My mother well, used to bring me out there. Well, yeah. that was a coach works. And they used to make pony and traps. I don't think the pony carts were made there. I'd say they were probably made by handymen locally. Yeah. And there was another crowd where Stacy is in Brannock Sound. Uh, and um, you'd, people would have, would have one or two ponies? Um, or oh, no, the only the one, one as a rule, the one pony. Um, he wouldn't, if you had a pony in trap, you also owned a couple of working horses. Right. You see? Now, if you didn't own a pony in trap, you wouldn't have a pony naturally, but you'd have something to do, a bit of work for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you could have a ginner, you could have a donkey or something, you know? And they'd use the, they'd use the pony or the donkey if they were small to the harrow in the garden. But that would be the kind of traffic then that you'd have in the town normally. Now, for long-distance traffic, what was used? Were there, were there coaches or what was it? Or were there buses at that stage? I remember the first bus coming. And I think it had been about... The first bus actually came to Kilcullen and it used to start in Suncraft. Cutbush. And it was owned by Connors. Up to the Curra. Crossed Kilcullen. And it used to stop at our hall door, that's Dowden's hall door now. Yeah. And pick up the passengers there, go on to Dublin. And there was a conductress on it with the name of Miss Ross. I remember well. She was always dressed to kill. And they let you off at the Royal Oak pub, which is near Kingsbridge there. Oh yeah, right. Across the river. Yeah, yeah. And that was the stop. Well, that, that pub is still there, in fact. Yeah. It's beside the Ashling Hotel. Yeah, that, yeah. That, was, that was the stop. Connor's buzz. And that's just a short recollection from that tape of my conversation with my late uncle, Tommy Byrne, which I rediscovered in my office a little time ago. I'll be mining some more nuggets of memory from it in due course. And on my early comment about traffic in Kilcullen being expected to slow to a trickle after the bypass, wow. How wrong were we? It's time to look at the news of the day and on the print edition of the Kildare Nationalist, the front page is devoted to Athai Lions Club President Councillor Brian Dooley, headlined on top of the world. The story records him having climbed and descended the fire escape at Athai Rugby Club 2,810 times over a three-day marathon fundraiser for Pieta House and the locals in Vincent de Paul. His feet was the equivalent of climbing and descending Mount Everest. He's pictured at the top, all smiles. Meanwhile, on the Leinster Leader, it seems that a number of local residents aren't in smiling mood. The paper's main story is about a controversial Nace Road being back on the agenda. The story reports how the residents, who successfully campaigned against the completion of the Nace Ring Road in 2019, are now set to object again. They're mainly from three estates near Nace Racecourse, and the road is again up for discussion as part of the draft Nace Local Area Plan. 
On the national news today, RTE leads with vaccine registration opening for people in their 50s. Age 59 is today and then down a year each day. Other stories are Health Minister Donnelly to seek cabinet approval for minimum unit alcohol pricing and a breaking story of deaths as an overhead train collapses in Mexico. The Irish Times has a vaccine lead too, but non-Covid stories there include an increased level of money laundering as criminal activity shifts online. And there's one about tenants facing jail as they refuse to leave their rented homes. The Examiner takes that minimum alcohol unit pricing for its main story and also reports on how, it seems, Irish people have found it harder to cope with lockdown stress than have most Europeans. The Independent highlights a further delay on the rollout of a national pension scheme, the pandemic being blamed. Another story promises a stellar treat for stargazers as the Earth passes through the Eta Aquarid meteor shower over the next two nights. That's associated with Halley's Comet. And that's the lot for this morning from the Daily Cast. I'm Brian Byrne, this is Kilcullen Diary, and we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for listening.